Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. The title of my message is, Ducks, You Have Wings. Ducks, You Have Wings. It's a pretty simple message, and I'm going to be preaching from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through to 11, and you're welcome to turn there with me in your Bibles. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. There's a famous short parable about a congregation of ducks. It's attributed to the 19th century Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard, and the parable goes like this. There once was a little town of ducks. Each Sunday, the ducks waddle out of their homes and waddle down High Street to their church building. They waddle into the sanctuary and they squat in their proper pews. The duck choir waddles in and sings the opening psalm. Then the duck minister comes forward and reads from the duck Bible. Ducks, God has given you wings. With wings you can fly. With wings you can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings and you can fly like birds. All the ducks shouted, amen. They took communion. They loved that bit, particularly the bread. (laughs) Then they sing the closing psalm, and they all waddle home. In just a moment, we're going to read a passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture about Jesus Christ, the one whom we worship. I think it is a truly astonishing passage of scripture. But I also think that we all are a little low on astonishment. It is my suspicion and my contention that our low levels of astonishment at God and of his realities are the source of a great many of our problems. In my mind, our startling lack of astonishment may be the primary reason why our discipleship fails to even get out of first gear. A text like the one that we will read momentarily is astonishing. It is astounding and it is amazing and it is marvelous in a way that we seem incapable of fully comprehending. None of us truly realize the weight and the scale of glory behind the words that we are about to read, for if we did, we simply would not be able to sit still. We would not be able to stay quiet, and we certainly would not be able to just go on with our lives waddling as we do. But that's what we do. We sit still. We stay quiet. Sure, we may shout amen from time to time, And we'll rise at the end to sing the closing psalm. But then we may just waddle home and resume our confined lives, our held lives, fascinating over illusionary thrills and chasing after backfiring pleasures, all because when it comes to God and when it comes to the realities of the kingdom of heaven, we are dangerously low on astonishment. Me too. 
So we're going to do something simple. We're going to read what, for many of you, may be a familiar passage, and then we are going to put together a profile of the astonishing author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Does that sound okay? Philippians 2, from verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord." to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God, give us eyes to see like never before. Give us ears to hear like never before. Give us minds to receive like never before. Help us to see you and help us to live differently by the power of your Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. In verse 6, we read of the eternal deity of Christ. He was in the form of God. Jesus Christ is God. God eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and immutable. We're going to walk through those words and their realities briefly together. He is eternal. He is everlasting. He has no beginning and no end. Before Abraham was, I am, Jesus declared to the Jews in John 8, and the Jews picked up stones to stone him because they rightly understood his claim, that he was the eternally pre-existent God who had revealed himself to their fathers before them in centuries past. And now he stood before them. And so we shall stand before him. Micah says that in our future, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And we shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great unto the ends of the earth, and he shall be our peace. The psalmist proclaims, before the mountains were brought forth, Before the world was formed, from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Jesus is eternal, the uncreated creator. He is omnipresent. He is present in everywhere and in every now. He is fully present in all ranges of both time and space. As Isaiah says, he dwells in the high and holy place and also with him who is, a, is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Paul wrote to the Colossians, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. That means he knows everything. 
He knows the smallest detail of your life. He sees every twitch of your soul. Jesus himself attested that there isn't a sparrow that falls to the ground beyond the scope of his knowledge, nor is there a hair on our head that isn't accounted for by him. And he knows the end from the beginning. Nothing takes him by surprise. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent, omni, all, potent, power. He has all power. He has power over all things and in all ways. He is totally unrivaled and matchless in power. He is omnipotent. And he is immutable. He doesn't change. There is no variation or shadow due to change with him, James says. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the author of Hebrews tells us. He is not a mere man that he should lie or change his mind concerning his promises to us. In him, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. He is immutable. Jesus Christ, eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and immutable, everlasting, always present, all-knowing, all-powerful, and unchanging. Jesus Christ is equal with God the Father and the Spirit, and so he is to be worshipped as God. He said, I and the Father are one. Now, that is either a grievous blasphemy worthy of death, or it is an astonishing reality. And we know, we profess, we believe, we live our lives built on the rock-solid assurance that this is a reality. We confess that he is the second person of the triune Godhead, eternally existing co-equally as God along with the Father and the Spirit. This is astonishing. Paul says that he was in the form of God, and we're just scratching the surface. As verse 6 becomes verse 7, we read of the incarnation of Christ. Now, this is astonishing. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, was and is and always will be simultaneously fully God and fully man, possessing both deity and humanity united in the one person. He did not cease to be God in order to become man. His deity was somehow not diminished or weakened at all by the addition of humanity. I know that this text says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, but whatever that means, it cannot mean that he ceased to be God. The book of Hebrews says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So if he became 0.1% less God for 0.1% of a second, the result would be cataclysmic global chaos. 
Jesus did not cease to be God in the incarnation. He added to his divinity, accommodating humanity, so as to be as we are, in order to perform a necessary work on our behalf that we were unable to perform ourselves. Here's what that means. He came and he became like us. He took on nerve endings for nails. He took on a back like yours to be whipped. He took on human flesh like yours to be ripped. He took on a skull to hold that blasphemous crown of thorns in place. He took on cheeks for Judas to kiss as an act of betrayal and to wear soldiers' spit. He took on ears so that he could hear mocking jeers as he walked to the cross. He took on hands and feet for spikes to be driven through and a side like yours for the spear to pierce. And he did it for you. For you, of all people, for you. And all people, not just you, but you. He did it to ransom you from sin and from death. That's why he came. He came to work. He came not to be served, but to serve. He came to ransom many. So as we press on into verse 8, we read, of the obedient death of Christ. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So you have the eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, immutable, uncreated creator entering into human history, born of a virgin, born in the likeness of man, fully accommodating both humanity and divinity. And what does he do? Of all of the things that he could do, he dies. He dies. He dies on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for your sin. And for all of the sinners of the world, he dies for your sin and mine. I mean, if ever there was a man who did not deserve to suffer at all, it was this man. If ever there was a life that didn't deserve to be extinguished, it was this life. There has never been another man like this. He never did what was wrong. He always did what was right. He was perfectly righteous in thought and in deed. This is the most valuable life in all of human history. As Peter says, he is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. No life has been more precious. And here's the wild thing. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, Isaiah says. The eternal son obeys the father unto death for your sake. As Charles Wesley wrote in his 18th century hymn, tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? He humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. He died for you. Who are you that he is mindful of you? And how are we not constantly astonished by this? How have we not yet been stunned out of our waddling? How is it that the things of this world have not yet grown strangely dim for us? How is it that we have not yet gladly forsaken all to pursue him, the treasure in the field? Christ the King is throwing a banquet, and he's invited you. Have you got something better to do? (laughs) Have you got somewhere more important to be? Do you know of something more exhilarating than this? Because if you do, tell me. Christ the King has called to you, follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. Is there something more valuable that you can do with your life than that? We are dangerously and deludedly low on astonishment when it comes to the things that we profess. This is basic Christology. In verse 8, we read of the obedient death of Christ. Now we read of his kingly reign over all of the universe, which of course assumes his resurrection from the dead because dead men don't reign. Verse 9 through to 11, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Death could not hold him down. Death stung the immortal, and in doing so, death stung itself to death. The immortal purchases immortality for whomsoever trusts in him. The immortal arose from the dead in the very body in which he was crucified. He ascends into heaven in that body glorified where he is now our interceding high priest. And he will come again personally and visibly to set up his kingdom to turn this upside down world right side up. Is this not an astonishing faith? How can we waddle a moment longer? So, why don't you make this moment right now the end of indifference in your life? Make this moment the end of ambivalence in your life. Make this moment the moment in which lukewarmness and flimsy commitment to Christ is crucified. Because Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Be astonished. Be astonished. I guess what I'm saying is this.
ducks. God has given you wings. With wings you can fly. With wings you can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings and with wings you can fly. So go into all the world and do it for His glory and for your joy. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.